Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 46 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns, The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, the bow, and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. But still, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that, that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who is free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain there with God. 
Good morning and welcome to the, we're going to call it the third Monday after Lent. Uh, this is Brother Logan Isaac broadcasting from Albany, Oregon. Our readings come to us today from Psalm 46, Genesis 12, and 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, but before I talk about uh, the Corinthians reading in particular, um, I want to mention the, the numbering of the days. Um, the As listeners know, Sundays are the crown of a liturgical week. Thursday, Friday, Saturday lead up to the Sunday. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday reflect back on and decline kind of out of the Sunday. Now the way that we schedule our weeks, they might begin on a Sunday or a Monday. And so saying something the first or the second of a season, like Epiphany Tide or the season after Pentecost, there's, there's bound to be a couple of days before the first Sunday. Um, and so what I'll do, and what I have done in the past, and I think I'm going to try and formalize, um, any days before the first Sunday of a season, I'll just call, say, Friday after Pentecost or Friday after Epiphany. Then once a Sunday rolls around, because those are titled first, second, third, Sunday after blah, 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 those weekdays I will name... I'll follow that. So today becomes the third Monday after Epiphany, even though there might have been a Monday uh, that fell before a Sunday. Anyway, getting to the readings. Um, You'll notice in the Genesis reading, it mentions people that they had acquired in Haran. They might have purchased them. They might have been in battle, say, uh, the Battle of Siddim comes up in Genesis 14, but clearly Abram is able to train up men, so maybe he's been in battle before. I mention that because battle is one of the most common ways to acquire slaves. If you were born into slavery, or slave, I, I almost said slavehood, um, but if you're born into slavery, you might be able to buy your way out. Uh, bond servant in English is sometimes... Uh, suggest that in uh, under Moses, when the Israelites were um, when Israelites fell into debt, they could become servants and work that debt off. So it was a finite slavery or servitude. Um, in Rome and in different cultures that Israel encountered, you know things change. Generally speaking. One of the most common ways to acquire slaves is in battle. The people or the, the culture, the group, the nation that you defeat, then you take their men as slaves and their women as slaves and concubines. Um, and that's usually how it happens. Not always, but usually. As I said, it's also debt slavery, which is addressed in Torah, and they're supposed to be released after seven years, etc., etc. And then in the Corinthians reading... Uh, Saul is familiar with slavery. Um, He was uh, born in the Roman city of Tarsus, uh, trained in Jerusalem, uh, calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrew, is a Benjaminite, shares a name with the first king of the United Kingdom, Saul of... Actually, I don't know where Saul is from, but Saul the king was also a Benjaminite. Um, And in his letter, he says essentially, look, if you're a slave... Be a slave and be in Christ. If you're a freed person, stay a freed person. Um, And in Philemon, his letter to 
Philemon about Onesimus, Saul is very careful not to say outright, slaveholding is wrong under Christ, don't do it. I believe, and I'll I explain elsewhere how, why I believe it, but I believe Saul is anti-slavery, but he's also very careful to remain within the culture he finds himself in. And Rome, Philemon's culture, who was probably a, a, a soldier or a veteran who acquired Onesimus through battle, um, because his family has Greek and Roman-sounding names, he's probably not as, you know, debt slavery was much more common in Israel than it was in Rome. But anyway, um, he essentially says in Corinthians, he takes a soft tone here. He says, if you're a slave, stay a slave. And now you're a Christian slave and do things, you know, as a Christian would. And that is where God encounters you and you encounter God. And don't focus on trying to get out of slavery. Uh, and that is definitely not what modern ears like to hear. Modern ears like to hear slavery is bad. You know, they like it real simple, straightforward. Slavery is bad, and slaveholders, slave owners, are also bad. Saul may actually believe this, but he doesn't say it. And there's a reason that he doesn't say it if it is true, which I believe it is, that he believes slavery is against God and against Christian values. Um, and it's... I don't, now I'm not even sure, the saying, when in Rome, and it goes on, do as Romans do, is very much Saul's kind of prerogative. There are some things that are important. Um, If you are to be a Christian, if you are to, whether that is that you are coming out of the the Israelite culture or the Roman culture, um, there are certain things that are important, right? Um, But some of them are less important. And the, the way he orders those values, those priorities, are very much different from how a modern reader would. But I'll say again, I think in Philemon, uh, it's much clearer what Saul's beliefs or desires or expectations are around slavery. Um, and it, I don't believe he's excusing slavery in Corinthians. Um, I think he's trying to thread a very fine line uh, between you know the the restrictive faith that he finds himself coming out of, and the incredibly inclusive faith that he finds himself explaining and putting structure to, um, and so I, I mean I don't give you as much tools to hear, but I I would encourage you to to read between the lines, um, to understand the context and not you know. Don't dis- there's good reasons to dismiss Paul and be upset at him. He's not a very good people person. Like, he doesn't get along well with others. Um, he has all these companions who kind of come and go. Um, and those who stay, like Timothy and Titus, who get letters, like, they're younger than him, and they're probably impressionable. Like, there's good reasons to not like Paul, um, but his theology and his cultural acumen are not one of them. If we, as I'll just say progressives, which I think he, you know, I, I tend toward at least politically, um, there are things that we won't like that he says and doesn't say. But he is bound to his own time and context 
and to interpret him through our context ignores a lot of the rationale that he probably has going on in his head. Um, so Corinthians is not, it is soft peddling on slavery, but it is not licensed to slavery any more than Romans 13 is licensed to, you know, blind obedience to the state. Um, he does say, you know, meet God where God meets you, just as he did on the road to Damascus. Um, he's very much deferential to God, and that's like the sole thing. Like, why should you care that you're in slavery? You can still be a Christian and be a slave. You can have agency and be a slave. Um, I think if there were a synthesis between our context and his, it might go something like this. Uh, you know, if you're a slave and you're really wrapped up in getting out of slavery because that's the right, you know, system in the the world that God created, and let's say you lead a rebellion, well, how many people are you going to lead to freedom? You might get your freedom, um, but that's a very limited uh, effect, and I think that might be one way to think of it. Um, Saul is very anti-like selfish desires, individuality, um, and so it, it might make sense to think of it in that way. Um, Philemon has a lot of power, um, and Saul knows this, and he wants to stay in Philemon's good graces. If he can convince Philemon, just gently nudging him in a direction, he might affect a, a wider kind of uh, trickle-down uh, effect if he can convince those with power, uh, like Philemon, to reinvent their assumptions around the cultural context they find themselves in. And so he's much more clear and concise with someone who has power than he is with a, a large group that is maybe heavily Hellenized and very much ingratiated to the system, the Roman system of the day. Um, and so don't take Saul... You know, we don't live when Saul lived. Don't believe that he's talking directly to you or to anybody um, without any kind of, you know, effect on time or, or, or anything like that. Um, so slavery is bad, and I think Saul sees slavery as bad, um, but he's also a pragmatist. He doesn't want to lose um, a, you know, he doesn't want to win a battle just to go on and lose the war. He's got the the broader picture always in mind, and I think that makes him a really skilled strategist, even if we might not like him as a person or necessarily as an orator. A prayer for all sorts and conditions of people from the Book of Common Prayer. O God, the creator and preserver of all humanity, we humbly beseech you for all sorts and conditions of people, that you would be pleased to make your ways known to them, your saving health unto all nations. More especially we pray for the Holy Church Universal, that it may be so guided and governed by your good spirit, that all who profess and call themselves Christians may be led into the way of truth and hold the faith in unity of spirit, in the bond of peace and in righteousness of life. Finally, we commend to your fatherly goodness all those who are in any ways afflicted or distressed 
in mind, body, or estate. That it may please you to comfort and relieve them according to their several necessities, giving them patience under their sufferings, and a, a happy issue out of all their afflictions. And this we beg for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Thank you for falling in to First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast by clicking the link in the show notes. Or, if you serve military families, subscribe to First Forward, a paid subscription feed providing commentary on Sunday lectionary texts a week in advance. Use it for sermon prep or just because you support the troops. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instruction will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with PPUHQ in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in an episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off of air. So there you have it. Three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I haven't convinced you to fall in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac. Always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.